On this episode of The Playbook, I have Arizona State University Athletic Director Ray Anderson. He may have graduated from Harvard Law School, but he has and knows the importance of radical humility and how to build a collaborative culture within a hyper-competitive space, not only through great facilities, but even more important through people and teamwork. Join me through all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. This is Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing with Entrepreneurs The Playbook, and I have I shouldn't say an old friend, but a dear friend, Ray Anderson, the athletic director of Arizona State University, the Sun Devils, and we're here right in the conference room, ready to discuss something that I'm most interested in, is Ray, welcome to the the playbook, but I wanna know the playbook to become an athletic director. Well, David, I tell you, man, uh, uh, I didn't invent it, that's for sure. The typical route, as you know, is through administration. You start sometimes as a, intern you wake your way up through the ladder but kind of in the same uh, department or certainly in the same uh, flow path uh, I wasn't that traditionalist Me neither. Uh, you either. <laughs> right. uh, and so I ended up here uh, through a securities course most mostly through being an agent then being with a team being at the league always spent a lot of time on campus because uh, we represented coaches and when you're uh, evaluating uh, players you're scouting, you're evaluating, spent time on campus, but never with the intent or thought that I'd be an athletic director uh, at all. Right, but you know, I always say to kids when they ask me how to be a sports agent, I said, you gotta develop the skills and gain the knowledge and have the desire because you know, if you don't really want it, somebody else really does. And and you got that playing sports, but you went to law school. Mm-hmm. Why'd you go to law school? Well, I went to law school because uh, uh, my, my, my father, who passed away early, had planned to be a lawyer as a young uh, boy coming up uh, through nine years old. Uh, once he passed away, then that kind of came my focus. I wanted to be a lawyer. Didn't really understand what it meant, but learned over time through teachers and others who, who schooled me about that. Uh, and so I went to law school uh, with the thought that I'd be a lawyer. Uh, not with the thought that I'd be a sports agent uh, or a litigator uh, or certainly not an athletic director. Uh, but I went to law school because it was something that was uh, kind of ingrained in me uh, as a young boy. And, you know, you went to some significant schools. I was joking around the first time we interviewed years back. I said, it's hard for me to give this interview because I've been rejected. My favorite school <laughs> on earth is Stanford. I apologize to be here, but, I, but they, right. they rejected me for undergrad and law school. I actually thought I had a chance for law school. But then you outdo yourself uh, going to Stanford. You go to Harvard Law School. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was fortunate. Uh, and it all started really with the folks when you're in grade school and junior high and high school, in my case, uh, had really taken an interest in me personally. Uh, and so just weren't, were, were not going to let me falter academically and always stress that. So uh, fortunately, I was able to get into uh, Stanford uh, and, and do well enough academically to actually uh, apply <laughs> and get admitted uh, to Harvard Law School. So I've been very uh, lucky, very fortunate, uh, both great institutions, and I'm really glad I went to both of them. What do you think the advantage is? You know, all my siblings went to Harvard, Penn, Columbia. Mm-hmm. But what do you think the true advantage is of 
you know, graduating from Harvard Law School compared to like Tulane? Is it a long-term effect, or what do you think the number one advantage of yeah, going well, to a school like Harvard is? Yeah, well, no disrespect to Tulane. No, obviously not. No, but we all know yeah. the top but tier, the, right? But the perception. Yeah, uh, exactly. The perception uh, is that if you're able to go to a school like that and, and graduate, uh, then uh, people give you a significant benefit of the doubt. To start. Uh, to start with. Uh, it's just kind of ingrained in us. So uh, you go into literally every situation with probably a competitive uh, edge uh, that is uh, uh, attached to graduating from a place like Harvard or Yale or Princeton or, or Stanford. Sure. Uh, or Tulane. Certainly. Just kidding. Uh, no <laughs> question. So but was just, there more pressure just, when you're there, though, because people have a higher expectation? Do you ever feel that? Because as a, as a boss, mm -hmm. I've hired kids from the Ivy Leagues, yeah. and I allow that same perception to happen, and then I have higher expectations, but yet they're still 24 years old. They're, and I think that somehow, you know, it's been Myron yeah. Roll, right? Remember mm -hmm. Myron? Yeah, One of my yeah, favorite yeah. clients yeah. at least. DB. Yeah, DB. DB. Road Scholar. Road Scholar. Right, but Florida, I forgot. Florida State. Florida State. Yeah. Forgot that he was 21. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, although he's the first client I've ever had to say, Mr. Meltzer, query. Mm -hmm. <laughs> query. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> and ask me questions that were really deep. I still forgot that he's 21. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there is, you look at my siblings, you know, who all mm -hmm. went to those schools. They got great advantages to start. But there's more pressure on them because people are like, oh, that's the Harvard kid. Yeah, He's yeah. summa cum laude from Harvard. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there are some expectations that go along with the privilege of going to a place like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's just part of uh, the deal. Yeah. Uh, and you have to take that on. And so, yes, when I left Harvard Law School and I went to my firm, initially uh, a law firm in Atlanta, Georgia, I don't think there was any question that folks looked at me and said, hey, that's the Harvard guy. Uh, uh, you know, you expect... Uh, a, a little more in terms of the quality of the work. Yeah, uh, and, and even worse for you, you married a woman named Buffy. So you go to Stanford, Harvard <laughs> Law School, and marry a girl named Buffy. Yeah. yeah. Your expectations are like, who is this guy? Yeah, now, He's right now, from the you know, comic book. It's, it's like uh, preppy, <laughs> preppy to the, to the hilt. Exactly. Uh, so that, uh, but no, those are uh, great opportunities to uh, uh, get higher education at places that, uh, very frankly, people will give you uh, like I say, the benefit of the doubt. They'll give you a little more uh, leeway, as a matter of fact, but it also comes with expectations, and uh, uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to deal with that. I, I, I am as well. Now, you go to, to a law firm to be a litigator. Mm -hmm. What skills do you think you learned the most litigating that help you today as an AD? Uh, preparation uh, and the, uh, the realization that there's just no substitute for just hard work and preparation. Uh, and so in uh, a lawyer's role, particularly a litigator, where discovery and research and preparation way in advance of ever getting in front uh, of an arbitrator or a panel or a jury is absolutely the most important thing you do. So uh, that translates really into everything I did in my business life, but certainly here. Uh, preparation is, is key. It's, it's vital. Doing your due diligence, doing your research, getting the appropriate input getting ready and then when you make the case uh, hopefully you're very prepared uh, and you're more able to deal with surprises or curveballs etc so preparation is absolutely foremost now on the administrative side like you said the traditional route is to build that administrative experience understand the culture of the institution build your reputation within there's a budgetary side Sure. That you don't really get as a litigator, mm -hmm. right? In fact, I was a litigator myself, mm -hmm. and 
you know, the reason I wanted to be a litigator, I didn't want to deal with those details afterwards, right? I wanted the, sure. the, the other kids to do the research for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to speak. And uh, how did you develop those skills? Because budget's a huge business yeah, yeah, issue yeah. for you. Well, uh, along the lines, you get a real appreciation for accounting and finance. And in law school, you take an accounting course, or you should. Uh, <laughs> part of what I did uh, to advance my opportunity is that I actually studied uh, financing. At one point, I had a Series 22, I think it was, uh, oh, wow. a, a license from uh, that I got back in Massachusetts. You're by an under, taking, underachiever, right? Yeah, really. by oh. taking additional <laughs> courses in finance and, and management and investments. Uh, but then the real trick is to know that you come into a place uh, and you know what you don't know, uh, which means you then look to your finance folks and your internal accountants uh, and you give those folks uh, a lot of responsibility and a lot of runway uh, to do it right, keep you informed, and then you delegate right. to people with the appropriate expertise, but never ever uh, just completely delegating and saying, you just do it, I'm not interested. I'm always interested in being briefed uh, and kept in the loop so when the final decisions are made, I'm all over them, but in terms of the expertise uh, 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 and the nuances of finances and accounting uh, and budget, Etc. I leave to the experts who right. are part of my team. And you do a really great job, including one of your latest hires, right? You, you hired a, a friend, someone that you had worked with at the NFL. I yeah, think. Frank Ferrar came came with me as our chief uh, financial officer for Sun Devil Athletics. Uh, in my eight years at the NFL, running football operations, he was the uh, finance budget leader for my unit for eight years. So I certainly went back to. Uh, someone that I knew and trusted uh, who could come in here uh, and culturally we were in sync. He knew what my expectations were. He could come in here and, and get up to speed very quickly on what goes on in a, a athletic uh, 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 budget and finance arena. Not very different, very frankly, than what goes on at the NFL pro level. So you, you go and get really good people around you then you delegate to them, let them do their job, and you know what, you got a chance of being pretty good. How old were you, There's, you know, I, when I look at you, I think of radical humility. And <laughs> it's something that I had to, through my career, in my 30s when I retired and was an idiot and didn't <laughs> humbly tell you right now, I wasn't radically humble. So I wrote those two words on my nightstand, and I said from today on, I'm gonna wake up and pray to God for 10 people I can help. Because mm -hmm. that's where that humility starts. For you, you know, with all the pedigree, from everything Thank from you. Harvard, Stanford, and Buffy, all the pedigree you have, you know, to understand, which took me later on in life to understand that if I elevate others, I elevate myself. And Lee had this great saying, be kind to your future self. True. And True. it seems to me from Herm to Frank and others around mm -hmm. you that you understood that at a much younger age than I did. Where, where did the humility come from? Who helped inspire you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the compliment for radical humility and... Uh, uh, I'm a believer that uh, you are at your best when you have the best around you in terms of teammates uh, and support group. And if you have that, you got a chance to be wildly successful because you're not just depending on yourself. You're depending on a team. And uh, I learned that early on, uh, and that started, very frankly, with my uh, freshman high school coach, a guy named Lloyd Parkson. Uh, who actually, when we showed up as real cocky junior high kids, had beat everybody in football, baseball, basketball. We come into high school, and our football coach is Lloyd Parkson, who is a Marine who had landed on Iwo Jima wow. and survived that war, and then ended up being coming back and being a mil military, a Marine instruction officer. Uh, 
And so when we showed up, there was Lloyd Parkson, all six, two of them, you know, white, shaved head, <laughs> grizzled. Uh, and like Paul Wiggins, it sounds like. <laughs> Paul Wiggins. That is a very good example. Yeah. Paul Wiggins, our former coach at Stanford. You young people got to look up Paul Wiggins. But that's what <laughs> uh, and we showed up, and he made sure that across the board we understood you're only as good as all of you are. Uh, there are no stars. It is about the team, and he really drove that in us and in me. Uh, and I give Coach Parkson uh, more credit than anybody in my life for driving home that you better be humble uh, and you better be uh, appreciative of everyone around you because without them, you know what, you will die. You will not be successful. And that, that, that drove it from then on. I was always about, okay, what's my team look like? Uh, everyone's got a role. Uh, in success, uh, and that's kind of been my marching orders, uh, and that's why, very frankly, I've had some success because it's about the team delegating, not micromanaging, uh, uh, and then giving everybody when it is appropriate, give everybody the risk, but also give everybody the rewards. And what do you, in that meritocracy, what do you instill or empower uh, to allow them to make their own decisions? Right, we're not micromanagers. What values? that you, you know, for me, I understand we empower people with values so they can make their own decision based on the values that we have as a collective. What values are the ones that you look at when you're empowering your associates and employees, et cetera? The, the thing we say about around here all the time, David, is that culture is just not important. Culture is everything. Uh, so we, had, uh, we, we, we set in advance a culture of uh, teamwork, uh, uh, no selfishness. Uh, uh, think through unintended consequences for the good of the group, not just for the self. Uh, and then core values like, you know what, uh, family really does come first, uh, and work-life balance really is important, uh, and uh, communication uh, and very honest, genuine, consistent communication is really critical uh, to our way forward. Uh, and those are really our core values, and we just try to instill uh, and then live those, not just talk them, but live them by example, up and down uh, our, 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 our chain of command. Yeah, one of the things I noticed different here, I'm blessed to have gone to tons of universities and blessed with friendships like yours, but the one thing that stood out when I walked through this office was the one word I don't see often. I see integrity, mm -hmm. I see commitment, I see consistency, mm -hmm. right? I see pursuit, you know, any wooden type of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of success triangle but very rarely do I see straight out on the wall, graduation. And I, like to me, I went to Occidental College because mm -hmm. it's the only place that let me play football. <laughs> but my mom loved it because when mm -hmm. she, I was recruited by San Diego State mm -hmm. and other places, yeah. and they talked about their graduation rate with their players. Mm -hmm. And my mom went to Occidental, Coach Weedoff at the time, a very winning coach for mm -hmm. that league, said, she said, well, how many of your players graduate? He said, 70%. And she said, only 70%? He said, no, no, I'm sorry, 70% going to graduate school. I'm sorry, everyone graduates. Right, right. <laughs> right? That's the feeling and energy right. expectation I get from you. Yeah. Is, is, and, and we're very proud of that because they are student athletes. Uh, student is first and foremost. And uh, through Gene Boyd, who runs our Office of Student Athletics uh, Development, uh, and Andrea Lohr and, and uh, Alonzo Jones down there, uh, they've done a marvelous job. Uh, for years now, before I uh, came on board, 
and advancing the fact that graduation is first and foremost. And then certainly in my time here, we have uh, uh, stressed that time and the time again that uh, the academic pursuits here are first and foremost, and we want student athletes to accept that across all sports. Uh, graduation is key, man, because we're in the business development, we're in the leadership development business, uh, and if they're not graduating from here, we have failed miserably. So graduation and graduation rights and uh, uh, APR, uh, academic progress uh, rates and reports for us are critically important to what we're doing. So graduation is paramount. Otherwise, we've let these uh, young men and women down and we failed miserably and we shouldn't be here. Right. And I, my favorite NCAA commercial was the one that said 233,000 student athletes and only so many are going to be professionals. There's no question. Everyone about will be professional in something else. Yep. And, you know, I'm part of that tribe and so are you mm -hmm. where, you know, that professionalism empowers and changes and has great social impact, which is important to both, which leads me to a question. So many people want to get involved in sports and I try to tell them sports is not a profession. It's an industry. Mm -hmm. Right. So develop skills, knowledge and find what you have a passion for. And it's okay to be profitable with that passion. What advice would you give someone that would like to get into, you know, college administration, athletic director? What skills, you know, I'm not going to talk about where you go or what, right, but right. really what skills would you advise them to start developing at, at a younger age? Yeah, well, they have to, in my view, be willing to be a utility player and don't limit your entry point. Uh, <laughs> be willing literally to relocate. Uh, to do whatever you're asked to do, you've got to get in the door because it's an industry where everybody wants to get in, but everybody is not willing uh, to do uh, whatever it takes in terms of developing a skill set and getting started to get in. Uh, they want to uh, narrow down their focus. I want to be an athletic director at a Power 5 school on the West Coast. Well, so does everybody else. You know, you've got to be willing to uh, go be a, 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 a first-tier administrator at a Division three school uh, up in Delaware, right. if that's what it takes. So uh, uh, cast a wide net. Be willing to essentially sacrifice uh, some of the comforts uh, of home, if you will, to get out there and really then be able to demonstrate, first of all, your passion and then your ability uh, to think outside of the norm, outside of the box is the cliche, uh, and be willing to do some different things that a lot of first-time entry-level folks maybe aren't willing to do. Right. And when you don't limit your entry point, it involves something called patience, which the older we get, the more we get, but the that's younger correct. we are, it's very difficult. I love, I'm going to steal that from you. I'll give you credit, Please but do. that's good. I love, don't limit your, your point of entry or your entry point. Last question. All the things that you have been able to achieve both personally with your family, just, mm -hmm. and here at the school and the NFL and, you know, even as a lawyer and an agent, uh, what is the legacy that you'd like to leave? Uh, I, you know, legacy is a, is, a, is, a, is a big word and sometimes the concept of it uh, is a little bit uh, shocking to me. Uh, but what I would tell you is that uh, when I leave this earth, uh, I really would just like folks to think back and say, you know what, that guy made a difference. That, 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 that guy made my life or uh, some other folks' lives that I'm aware of uh, just a little bit better. Uh, he just made a difference because he cared. That's, that's really what I'd like to 
awesome. leave uh, uh, in, in, uh, when, I, when I leave from here, David, that they look back and say, you know, Ray Anderson, he was a pretty cool guy. Right. You know, he, he kind of made a difference. Well, I think that, that's I, all I look to do. From what I've heard around, I think that's already happening. So you're on the great track. I love the fact that not only have you made a difference, but you brought into this podcast the one person that made a huge difference in your life was your high school football coach. There's no question. And as we and I have the same feeling towards yeah. mine. Although, you know, our careers have been these crazy careers that yeah. you know parallel. I, I'd say to anyone out there that's an entrepreneur, a teacher, a mentor, you can change one life and end up, you know, somehow participating in extraordinary lives, even though you may not feel what you're doing is extraordinary, it has an extraordinary impact. Yeah, my uh, Coach Parkson, he went on a, uh, a uh, what do they call it, a reunion with his Iwo Jima uh, uh, colleagues who survived. They went back to Iwo Jima, uh, uh, and this is years later. I still have a little... Uh, a sandwich bag of sand that he brought me back from the beach of Iwo Jima. <laughs> and when he came back, he sent me uh, uh, a bag of sand with, with a note uh, reminding me uh, of all the things we had uh, done and the times we had spent talking together because he kind of uh, took me on as kind of a surrogate son knowing my, my story. Yeah. Uh, and I still have it in my uh, uh, my safe deposit box. That's awesome. Back home, a uh, little little baggie of uh, uh, sand from Iwo Jima from Coach Lloyd. A little Parks. inspiration in a bag. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I really appreciate Ray your my time. Pleasure, I know you're David. busy. Uh, keep the Pac-12 Pac-12 thriving. Well, we're gonna, you know we're that runs well, in my family. It's it's very competitive, <laughs> but we're trying to make strides. Well, as long as you're graduating kids, I think that's what's most important. You Absolutely. Know. So I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, our pleasure. Don't limit yourself. Be kind to your future self. I'm here with Ray Anderson. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneur, The Playbook. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.